This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the new unemployment numbers are being released today. This is the first monthly report that includes the impact of the coronavirus shutdown, so the jobless rate is going up. The only question is, how far? Unemployment checks are finally being mailed, but there's still a backlog. The man brought in to fix Florida's broken system says they're working 24-7 to make it easier to file a claim. The governor's new task force on reopening the state holds its first meeting today. They hope to come up with a plan in less than a week. Ron DeSantis says they're also getting guidance from the White House. The state releases more information about fatalities in long-term care facilities for seniors. Turns out they account for about one out of every five COVID-19 fatalities in the state. Democrats and advocates for seniors are calling for more transparency, and they are denouncing a request from the nursing homes that they be granted legal immunity for deaths that occur in their facilities. The governor is under fire for the way the Corrections Department has responded to coronavirus. A group that works on behalf of the families of inmates says there is a real crisis behind the prison walls, and the guards are just as vulnerable as the convicts. Good news for hemp growers. The USDA has approved Florida's hemp program, and the state agriculture commissioner says the first crop could be planted as early as next month. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with Florida Man, a drag queen who fell asleep during his own show. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, April 17th. First, the numbers. There have been 23,340 confirmed cases of coronavirus in Florida, 688 fatalities, 54 fatalities over the past 24 hours. The Department of Economic Opportunity will be releasing Florida's March unemployment rate today, and it's going to hurt. February's rate was 2.8 percent, but that was before the pandemic. Hundreds of thousands of Floridians have been laid off since then, and the state unemployment system crashed like the Hindenburg. But Governor Ron DeSantis says checks are finally going out. We need to get people paid, and so I've told, I've directed Secretary Satter that's got to be the number one priority. Uh, so far, DEO has made 121,102 payments to Floridians in reemployment assistance, totaling almost $50 million. Uh, this includes 33,623 individual Floridians who applied for reemployment of benefits uh, after uh, this economic upheaval in the middle of March. Uh, this week, DEO mailed 23,801 checks for $600 from the federal money uh, under the CARES Act. So those are paper checks that are going out. And the reason why is that we want it to be submitted or, or received as quickly as possible. Uh, so Floridians who receive their $600 check will receive their state benefits for reemployment assistance via either direct deposit or prepaid debit card based on the individual applicant's preferences. Um, and so while we've made uh, some progress in the recent days, it's not nearly enough. We have an unprecedented amount of claims and we've got to work through them. Department of Economic Opportunity Director Ken Lawson is no longer in charge of fixing the system. The governor ordered Department of Management Services Director Jonathan Sater to tackle that problem, and he tried to describe the situation by using an automotive analogy. The engine that drives these unemployment claims is talking to a wide variety of, of data sources throughout the country. It's, talking to, it's verifying Social Security numbers. It's doing fraud checks. It's uh, verifying employers. Um, it's verifying... You know, if you live in Georgia but you work in Tallahassee, it's a cross-border issue. So there's, even on a good day when claims were relatively low, it could take 10 to 14 days to have a process go through the pipeline. So if we take this car, and the car is a 7-year-old car, maybe it was a nice car then, but it has been driven a lot over 7 years, 
Um, we've just loaded the car with a lot of passengers, and we're expecting the car to drive 10 times as fast as it was built for. And so we occasionally have to car, take the car in for a pit stop. It's longer than we would like, but we would rather make incremental investments in the infrastructure of the system now than over-promise and under-deliver. And that is one of the mandates that the governor said is we need to be fully transparent with where the system is and where we're going. There is still a lot of downtime for the state's unemployment web portal, mostly late at night or early in the morning. Satter says they need that time for updates and patches in the system. The governor's new task force to figure out how to get Florida back to work and reopen the state holds its first meeting today. DeSantis says their job is to plan for phase two of the pandemic response. We had a great call with the president and all the governors uh, talking about you know, how CDC envisions this, what their recommendations would be, and so we're internalizing that. I obviously have a task force that we've created, and um, you know, you know, we, need to, we need to be ready to, to, to get back to work. Um, there's going to be a lot that goes into this, and you're talking about different segments of the economy, different measures for protection, uh, but I think that we're going to be able to come up with a thoughtful approach that will um, you know, allow folks to get back to work and, and hopefully mitigate um, some of the economic damage uh, that's been done. Uh, so that will be something we're going to be working on round the clock for the next uh, few days, and hopefully we'll um, you know, have a plan very soon on that. But Duval County didn't wait on the governor. Jacksonville Mayor Lenny Curry says beaches and parks will reopen today, but some conditions apply. Beaches will only be open from 6 in the morning until 11 in the morning, and again from 5 at night till 8. Users must be participating in recreational activities consistent with social distancing guidelines like walking, biking, hiking, fishing, running, swimming, taking care of pets, surfing. However, sunbathing and boozing, well, that's strictly forbidden. Democrats and senior advocates are calling on the governor to stop hiding the truth about the spread of coronavirus inside Florida's nursing homes and adult living facilities. More than 1,200 cases have already been confirmed among the residents and staffers, but Senator Gary Farmer says the governor and the Agency for Healthcare Administration are refusing to reveal the names of those homes. We have a transparency problem uh, with our nursing home industry. The state is refusing to name all elder care facilities with confirmed uh, coronavirus uh, cases. We are in the midst of a public health emergency and transparency and information regarding the spread of this virus is absolutely critical to our ability to track and contain the spread of the virus. Even with the limited transparency that exists right now, we do know that statewide, over 1,200 residents and nursing home staff and ALF residents and staff have contracted the virus. That number uh, tripled uh, in just one week. So we know that uh, coronavirus, from the limited uh, data we have, uh, there are are indicators that the coronavirus uh, is spreading uh, at a rapid rate in nursing homes and ALFs. Not only do we not have transparency in that we are only getting snippets from a few facilities, a handful of facilities around the state, as to the extent of the virus uh, impacting both residents and staff. Uh, We're now uh, seeing evidence that this kind of information and data is being actively concealed uh, by that industry. The nurses and other health care professionals who work at those homes are being hailed as heroes during the COVID crisis. But Bill Sauer with the Florida Alliance for Retired Americans says the corporations that own those homes are acting more like villains. 
In fact, the Florida Healthcare Association is asking the governor to issue an executive order immunizing them from lawsuits or criminal charges if any of their patients die during the pandemic. Here you have this association of business owners who are looking for some type of immunity, uh, probably because they're already violating the law and they're looking to get off the hook in the case they're called on it. And there seems to be this disregard for these lives just because they might be closer to death than most others. Uh, and this is morally wrong. All this secrecy and stuff that the governor is uh, trying to pull off here, uh, it doesn't lend itself to being a, a trusting system. And now you're going to have people who need to put their parents in some type of a facility. And, you know, they're going to be very hesitant about it, even though it might be personally difficult for them to continue to, to service their elderly parents. But why would you want to send them off to some place where they're going to die? There's no definitive plan. Where are the testing and how are we isolating those who test positive? I mean, all of this, uh, these, these things that delay the testing from happening, identifying those potential people who uh, could infect others, it's like, a, it's like a hand grenade waiting to go off. And it's going to take so many down once it does. And there seems to be this uh, attitude that money is more important than the lives of these people. Senator Farmer, who's an attorney in real life, says if the governor grants them immunity, the companies that own these nursing homes and adult living facilities will be able to get away with murder. Literally. The fact that they are concerned about criminal liability for failure to adequately care for their residents uh, just underlines and highlights the level of outrageousness of this request. It's, it's as I said, such a, a high standard to meet to, ha to impose criminal liability. So for them to be requesting proactively uh, and retroactively uh, criminal uh, immunity from liability, it's just, it's, as I said, it, it, it just further highlights the outrageousness of this request, you know, down here in, in South Florida, we would say uh, that it's chutzpah at the highest level. Chutzpah has been defined as that quality of a man who, upon having killed his mother and father, throws himself on the mercy of the court because he's now an orphan. That's a legal definition from case law of chutzpah, and I think this request by the FHCA uh, certainly meets that definition. Florida used to have some of the strongest laws in the nation, protecting the rights of people in nursing homes. But Barbara Devane with the Alliance of Retired Americans says the politicians in Tallahassee have been chipping away at those rights for more than 20 years. And here we are. She says giving the homes immunity will be the final nail in the coffin of their own clients. The state finally began reporting the number of fatalities in nursing homes Wednesday night. As it turns out, one out of every five fatalities in Florida have been residents or staffers at long-term care facilities. Seniors aren't the only ones trapped inside. There are almost 95,000 inmates in Florida prisons. And State Representative Diane Hart of Tampa says they're being denied basic safety tools like hand sanitizer, and their families are terrified. This is a most difficult time. Families are calling me, writing me, emailing me, texting me about their loved ones who are in prison. We're getting hundreds of letters from all over the state. Now, my heart goes out to those that are incarcerated 
because they can't go anywhere, you know, and they, they can't practice any safe distancing and all those things. So my heart is bleeding for them. But for these families out here that are in dire concern as to whether or not their loved ones will make it through this virus or not, that's very, very difficult. State Representative Anna Eskimani is asking the governor and the Department of Corrections for three things. More transparency on the extent of the COVID-19 problem, better communications with the families of inmates, and protective equipment for the guards and the inmates. I think the first thing the DOC needs to consider doing is, and they should have done this weeks ago, but like I said, is, is PPE for all the correctional officers and the members of the incarcerated community to make sure that everyone is benefiting from tools to limit their exposure to one another because they can't always social distance, um, making sure there's plenty of soap readily available at every location, at every prison, um, and, and really ensuring too that uh, any type of sickness that someone might feel, that they're able to go to their, their, the medical unit and not face a charge. And that was one of the first asks that we had for DOC early on in this process was, um, we wanted to make sure that DOC didn't uh, charge anyone for medical care. And also when it came to um, being able to connect with their loved ones, we wanted to ensure that because the physical meetings were suspended with loved ones, that there would be uh, the opportunity for free communication. I, I do think that the prisons can do a better job about that. And of course, when it comes to just maintaining um, health and well-being for families, being able to talk to your loved ones is key. And so I wanted would I would want to see improvement on just that communication to families so that there can be more transparency. Um, and then I'll just add one last point around like report numbers. <laughs> Tell us who has been tested. Tell us which prisons. We need to know everything. And and no matter what our secretary says, optics has a huge impact on the greater public. And so you might be saying you're giving us all the facts, but when you hide from it and make information difficult to access, it gives off the impression that you're hiding something. And, and so many families don't trust the system for a valid reason. So it's hard for us to trust what DOC says when we hear news from the rumor mill before we actually hear it from the officials, and that's not okay. Kevin Ring with FAM, Families Against Minimum Mandatories, says the state should also be testing inmates even if they don't have symptoms. People talk about the spread and why testing is so important. When they had the first positive test in an Arkansas state prison, um, they decided to test everybody in the barracks. They were all asymptomatic, but it turned out that 43 of the 46 tested positive. And so that's how it's spreading in prisons. You don't know it is, and you're not testing. I think that's what's really critical. And I think people know that you know, prisons are gonna be the last place you're gonna dedicate those resources. And that's what makes families scared. There are plenty of people in Florida who really don't give a damn about whether inmates live or die, but Representative Eskimani says corrections officers are also at risk. I often like tend to talk about the families more because I, I really empathize with what they're going through. But I, I will say that the correctional officers are going through a lot right now as well, and their families are also scared. Both the officers and the incarcerated folks like want to see improvements because it keeps everyone healthy and safe. We've heard concerns from COs at our office as well, um, just like the hand sanitizer concern, but just concerns around, you know, social distancing, around um, enough soap. I think it's really very much grounded in priorities of the governor and the governor doesn't prioritize this, right? I mean, and and there are so many issues that we, we were pushing the governor's office on, you know, this being, this being one of them, but it's, it's like, 
everything's a hot mess right now, right? Like the Florida's approach to every single layer of this crisis has not been clear or clean. According to the Department of Corrections website, there have now been 107 confirmed cases of COVID-19 among the staff and the inmates, and three inmates have died. But they have only tested 310 inmates. Next up, news that has nothing to do with COVID-19. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast on Florida Politics. Welcome back to Sunrise. The U.S. Department of Agriculture approves Florida's state hemp program, clearing the way for growers to begin cultivating hemp later this month. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, who will oversee Florida's hemp program, issued a statement saying she's thrilled that the industry is now official. She believes the state hemp program will become a model for the nation, will set a gold standard for an emerging industry, and will create billions of dollars worth of economic opportunity for Florida. Your calendar of events starts with the Florida Board of Acupuncture holding a conference call at 9.15. The Department of Economic Opportunity will release the unemployment figures for March at 10 o'clock. That report's expected to reflect job losses that began soaring in March because of coronavirus. The Florida State University Board of Trustees will meet by conference call at 10. And the Florida Housing Finance Corporation Board of Directors meets by conference call also at 10 o'clock. Finally, it's time for the latest from Florida Man, who sometimes wears a wig. A Florida man who is also a drag queen by the name of Anahi Santos goes viral after passing out during a Facebook live stream performance. The show started at 2.30 in the morning from the patio of his home in Wilton Manors, but 20 minutes into the performance, he sat down and nodded off. Viewers shared that video and it accumulated more than 16,000 comments. Santos is now known as Miss Quarantine, and when he woke up from his nap, he found a flood of tips in his PayPal and Cash App accounts from generous viewers. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again on Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.